Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, our podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Oh, Elizabeth, we both need to take a breath. (laughs) I know. It's been one of those days. It's just all of a sudden you were messaging me about recording our podcast today, and I was like, wait a second. It's already that time of the week. What is happening here? I know. Isn't that weird? I couldn't believe it was Wednesday already. Um, (laughs) There is so much going on between Elizabeth having babies all over the place and i am got boxes all over the place. We are powering through. And just to make the point that nests go through periods of chaos. And I fear mine is in a little bit of a chaotic state right now. So as I was packing, Elizabeth, I'm finding the most wonderful things because we have boxes and boxes and boxes of papers. I'm shredding much of it, but I'm coming across these gems of things that I have saved. And one of them was an article from the October 1997 Parenting Magazine. Oh, wow. You saved that. I have saved this, and I was so frustrated because I have actually been looking for this article for years because (laughs) I knew it. I was sad that I had lost it, and so the day that I found it, I was so, so happy. It's by the writer Anna Quinlan. Have you ever read anything of hers? Absolutely, yes. Anna Quinlan is wonderful, and of course I can't come up with right off the top of my head what I've read of hers, but I know I've read multiple books. Oh, including she had a book about food that I loved so much. She's a beautiful writer. She was a columnist for the New York Times for a long time. She's written a couple of novels, but it was this article, and this is an excerpt, or actually it's not. She was working at the time in 1997, she was working on a novel called Black and Blue. Okay. Um, And they just, they use this sort of to promote that. But this is just a, this was an essay about, motherhood and about parenthood. And so 1997, Elizabeth, my children were six years old and four years old. Oh, So I was deep in the idea of how am I going to raise two men, yeah, two good men. And that was a, a real preoccupation for me of how can I raise them to love and appreciate women, to be open, to be good, to be kind. I was so obsessed with that. And I would read everything I could find. And I came across this, and this is why I saved it. And I will say, too, at the time, I was also struggling with a lot of guilt because I had a, I was working then at the time. I, was, I think that's when I was working for Harpo Studios in Chicago. So I was flying around the country a lot. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was intense work. I was, I think at that time we had just built a house. Uh, there was a lot going on. And I remember feeling very guilty because I was not being of service to anyone but my family and my job. Mm-hmm. And both of my parents were activists. They were very involved in the community. I grew up going to soup kitchens. I grew up campaigning for candidates. I grew up 
going to Sunday bingo to raise money for our Catholic school. I mean, my life was filled with that. And that's a that's a podcast for another time of how that influenced me. But I wasn't doing any of that. And it was already it was very family self-focused. And quite frankly, I feel like I was in survival mode then. And I had a little bit of guilt about that. And so I think that's why this these words of Anna Quinlan resonated with me. And as I wrote to you last night, it seems like it was our destiny, Elizabeth, to do best to the nest. And really? you'll see why. Yes. Oh, my so, gosh. All the way back in 1997. When so, this article clicked with you, this was the the birth of best to the nest. Best to the nest. And feel free to comment all along the way. I can't edit Anna Quinlan because she's such a beautiful writer. So forgive me. I'm going to have to read a lot of it. <laughs> So she writes, the well-being of the family is within our control. As a private citizen, I can't do very much about welfare reform or the capital gains tax, but I can actually help every day to strengthen America's families and therefore their future, and so can everyone else. We can remember, if we have children, that we are part of something larger than ourselves and that our personal happiness is no longer the guiding principle of the universe— We can stick with our marriages, despite the fact that it is sometimes most difficult to do so. If we can't stick with our marriages, we can have civilized divorces. As a family, we can take the future into our own hands by being parents to our children. Every day, I can raise the level of national civility by making sure my three keep their mouths clean and their manners acceptable. Every day, I can raise the level of literacy by reading with them or giving books to them to read. Every day, I can increase the level of national empathy by making them understand the polyglot nature of this country and how others within it think and feel. I don't mean to suggest that we shouldn't look at the large trends and issues that affect families in this country, but that we should look at them after we've taken care of our own house and put it in order. Oh, my gosh. This is best of the nest. I'm sorry, Marjorie. I stepped on you. I couldn't help it. Isn't this it is best to the nest. So she wrote this. You read it. I was not even thinking about a nest at that point in life. Um, no. But this is totally it. This is about focusing on the values and the things that are important to you within your own house. And it will overflow into the community yep. at large. So she so she after we've taken care of our own house and put it in order, we do the best by our own children. We trust others to do the best by their own. And we see the children who need us not as issues, but as individuals, as part of the great extended family of Americans and humans to which we belong. We hold out a hand, not shake a fist. The guiding principles in our own family must be love and acceptance. And from there, we can bring that to other children who cry out to us, not because we're liberals or conservatives, but because we're mothers and fathers. It's Isn't so that... good. Yeah. And and so timely. Yeah. Like it's if we so all timely. if we all just raised our children in houses of love, which extraordinarily is so much more difficult than we think it is, mm-hmm. it would be so much better. But I, I so found ama- this. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I love it. I think those words are so beautiful and um and it is totally a precursor to the conversations that we're having here on Best to the Nest all the time. And it does why it's so timely now too. I mean, almost 25 years later is that I just think this is a time 
in history when we feel so out of control. Yes. We feel out of control about everything. We feel like this pandemic is completely out of our control. Our politics are out of our control. The 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 injustices when it comes to racial inequality in this country that have been going on since the beginning of it feel particularly raw and out of control. And the only thing that you have a true handle on, I mean, you can be an activist, you can do those things and that's wonderful. But when it comes to the influence that you have over your own children, you will have a greater influence on them than you will on anybody else. And anybody else, even if you are an extremely influential person, your children are the number one Yep influenced by you? Well, I think that I I think part of it and it was this was such a guiding force to me, even in the choices that I made in my career, is that it was crucial to me to attend to my children. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that I wanted to make sure that they felt that their place in the world was secure. And 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 that just all all that meant was that their place in our family was secure. And I think part of when all of us look back at our childhoods, I think if you try really hard to be self-aware, part of parenting is remedying some of the wounds of your own childhood. 100%. And hopefully you're doing that in a really healthy way. It's to not replicate the things that you felt. And, you know, I've talked about my mother and father quite a bit on this podcast, and I love them both. And I am I have my own flaws as they did. So I, I don't want to sound as if I'm judging them, but I think as a child, what I felt to a certain extent was a certain amount of neglect. And yeah. I put that in the lightest of terms. But the house was very busy and I was the fourth of four girls. And there was there was all of this going on. So I don't think that I always felt completely heard or attended to. And and I and I and and that's, I mean, that's just, I, I don't, I don't want to overstate that because I, I'm very grateful for so much of my childhood. But I think that what my hope was for my children is that when they left to go out in the world, that they would feel fairly secure mm-hmm. and that they always knew that nothing mattered out in the world so much because all they were going to receive at home was love and comfort and security. And to hear that mirrored back to me from them as adults is such a fulfilling thing for me as a mother that even at 29 and 27, they always say that to me. Like they always know they could come home tomorrow and it would be a home of open arms. No shame, no judgment. Let's rebuild. Let's figure it out. Whatever they would need, that's what it would be. And I think it's so funny for me to read these words again because they struck so deeply. And I think, like you said, at this time where it just seems chaotic, that if you just make that focus so narrow, even if it just has to be that narrow for a time, that that's a really good thing. And and the way I always thought about it, too, is the better behaved my children were, even in school, the fewer resources they would use. If they felt loved and secure at school, they were not going to cause the teacher any problems. Yeah. And I always felt like, and I always felt that that was really important, that it was my job to make the teacher's job easier. And I could do that by raising good children. Isn't that amazing, though? Okay, so let's look at today. You now are looking back at those words from 1997 that resonated with you so well. I mean, does it feel good to go, 
I did that. I did that because if you ask Campbell and Gar if they feel that way about you and about how they were raised, they're all going to have complaints, Marjorie. Yes. They have to yes. talk to a therapist about something. Yes. I mean, you have to give them something to go and sit on the couch to talk about. So there's certainly going to be things that you didn't do that well or that you, frankly, that you just didn't do well because you didn't know any better. You know, a lot of people, that's just the way that it is. But in this case, you knew something, you were intentional about it, and I think that your sons would agree with that. That, that. You should be proud of yourself for that. That's amazing. Both have a strong sense of service, which I love. They they are very focused. They're very outwardly focused on the world, which I think is appropriate if you don't if you're if you're single yeah. and you have time. I think that's a really important thing. I think I'm proud that they have felt loved their whole life. Yeah. And if the things that they've gone, that they have talked to people about, I don't think they'd mind me sharing this, is I think, or just even that they've talked to us about, we've talked about, I do think I suffered from a certain amount of anxiety while raising them. Mm-hmm. I think there's a sort of, like, even as I, I hear you talk about your kids and how I raised my kids, you have a more of an ease, perhaps, than I did. I think I was a little bit more anxious as a parent. I know I don't think. I know I was. Mm -hmm. And I regret that, but it's where I was at the time. And then I think the other thing I think that they have had to reconcile in their lives is is an odd thing that not many kids go through, which was being children of people who were in the public eye. Right. And that is something that your children as well will have to deal with at some point. There's kind of no getting around it. Yeah, that's and the thing that that brings me the most worry. I think that worries me. And then what a beautiful thing it is to have more resources than what my parents had with us. Yep. I mean, I, I've talked about this before. I remember very vividly uh, things about just financial limitations within our household that were very much the case when I was young. And I remember them more than my sisters do because I was the oldest. oldest. Yeah. So I remember conversations and thinking about things. I remember being conscious of prices and field trip money and asking for things very young. And I could feel the stress that finances brought to my parents. So that being said, Jay and I are in a fortunate position to not have as many of those worries. And so then with that, it kind of comes like, how do I navigate that? Because at the same time, you know, having those concerns made both of us really hard workers and hustlers and people that like were very driven because we wanted that security that we didn't necessarily have growing up. And for my kids, it's a little bit different because they have more. (laughs) They they just do. But I think that goes back to in some ways what Anna Quinlan is talking about, which is raising children that are open and accepting and empathetic. Yeah. And I think in this country, if you fall within a middle class life, I, I don't I don't even like those categories really, but if you fall within a range of money that most of your bills are paid for and yeah. you know, you're okay. And you're able to do some nice things, things and enjoy some nice things. That, right. That you're okay, that that it is incumbent on any family in that sense, to be open to the idea of how to serve. Mm-hmm. And that and that in some ways I had so much guilt over I felt so overwhelmed for a lot of their young years because we were balancing so much. In the middle of this too, my husband was getting his Masters of Divinity and doing a radio show and 
it was crazy. Yeah. And so, but he was always serving. And so I think in some ways he didn't have that guilt about not being of service. I mean, right. and so the beauty of that, and I think in answer to to whom much is given, much is expected, Ian always, Ian was what we always, it was kind of funny, he became the maitre d' of our church's homeless breakfast. So he would greet everybody and he would sort of make everybody feel like this is, you know, here, well, you're welcome. And so he would bring Gar. So at a very Mm -hmm. young age, Gar was, I think, four or five. Gar was the junior maitre d' who would set the tables and put the salt and pepper on the table and sit with the guys and talk to them. And, and, you know, I think I've told the story before that I remember taking Gar to the park in Atlanta where there were – Atlanta has a real homeless problem. And we'd be walking through the park and the guys would be like, hey, Gar. She's like, hi. (laughs) And it was just a wonderful thing to understand what you should be grateful for and to understand what you can give. Yeah. And but that I think being that's... said, at that point, when you're feeling like, like you saying this makes me like shallow breathe because I'm like, I can't even like, I can't even wrap my head around getting through a day right now, much less uh, ex- making sure that I'm, that I'm giving back. I, you know what I mean? That can right. feel, so it's that balance of feeling really overwhelmed of like, I'm not giving my kids those experiences because I, I'm barely like making it. I mean, I have to take my life a half hour at a time right now. <laughs> which is why, which is why I said when we started this discussion, I was shallow breathing because I had yeah. such a sense of guilt of not being of service. I know. And I was fortunate that I had a husband that was getting his master's of divinity, and this was right. part of his part of his rotation. And you know, he was a hospital chaplain, so yeah. it was woven into our lives. But I I will tell you that there was a conversation when the homeless breakfast went from he was leaving at six o'clock in the morning and then he was getting home at two because he was doing more work at church. And suddenly on Sunday, I was alone with the kids until two. Yeah. I'm like, you you. I'm good with part of this, but you got to get home earlier. Yeah. I'm I'm sinking. Mm -hmm. And part of that goes back again to. I don't want you to shallow breathe. I want you to hear Anna Quinlan's words, which is if you're taking care of your own. And I think there are always ways to teach your children how to be empathetic. And reading is a huge part of that. I mean, what are the reading lists that your children have? How can you curate that so they can read a read a wide range of stories and experiences? Mm -hmm. You know, just don't fall to the classics of what you knew, but really, and I probably did this to a fault, but overly research what what are the stories that they should be reading and could be reading that will widen their worldview? It doesn't always have to be about you taking them there because I don't want any mother to shallow breathe and be like, oh, my God, are you telling me I'm not doing enough? <laughs> what Anna Quinlan told me in 1997 is love your children, attend to your children, help them to be good citizens. And that's got to be enough. That's got to be enough. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think being thoughtful about what your children are exposed to is important. I mean, that's a that's a big pride point for me of living in the city is that our children, I think about like what my life looked like in the suburbs growing up and of Minneapolis. I mean, everybody looked like me. Everybody yeah. looked like me. Yeah. I had like a few friends who didn't look like me and that was it. And everyone was of the same mostly the same financial background and white. I mean, that was how it was. And in when you live, and some of that is the demographics of Minneapolis, but when you live in the city, it's definitely, it's just a different level of exposure of consistently seeing. I mean, we drive past 
the the people who are unhoused, the encampments of the tent cities that are around. And we talk with our kids about what that means and how might have someone ended up in that situation and how difficult it must be for them and all of those things. Right. Um, and I th- and I think kind I of think seizing it's... those moments to have those conversations is important. Yeah, and I think in any circumstance, because I grew up in the city of Chicago as well, and I think in any circumstance, it's not whether or not you live in the suburbs or the city. Yeah. It's are you surrounding yourself so you're in an echo effect? I knew plenty of the people that lived growing up in Chicago that didn't that their circles were so small that everything that they thought about themselves was completely affirmed by the people around them. So I think it's a mindset as opposed to, to to your point, though, I get what you're saying. And I, I, I understand that too. But I think we always have to be aware. And I have in and out of periods of my life have fallen into very small circles where everybody's affirming exactly who I am. And I think that's never a healthy situation to be in. And I think the more anybody can put themselves in circumstances where they're hearing a variety of voices, a variety of stories, or being able to tell a variety of stories is a good thing. And and I think there are many ways to do all of these things. But again, going back to Anna, Anna Quinland, no shallow breathing, everybody, no shallow breathing. Just if you can provide love and comfort and joy within your nest, not twenty four seven. We're not talking about the perfect nest. No, but but if that's the if that's the goal, I think that that should that should let you breathe deeply. <laughs> and even you know, even simplifying it a little bit more of just so that it doesn't feel like it has to be this love fest all the time because it's just that that is of course that's unrealistic for a home. And if you're, I, I hope people aren't taking that away from this, but but just that everyone gets to be seen and heard yeah. for whatever moment they're in. We just had a situation last night where um, Bernie got really overwhelmed and then Frankie was kind of in her face and she kicked him. <laughs> I right. mean, this is just what That's happens life. in our household. Yeah. And and I said to Bernie, instead of saying, don't kick him, you can't, like, you can't kick him. I thought to myself, I can do better than that in this right. moment. And for me in that moment doing, you know, and believe me, there have been times when I've been like, stop the hitting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not like I always do this, but I did think, okay, what's happening with her right now? She's very overly tired. I mean, she was so tired and then he was in her space and she just, she couldn't think to react in any other way than to just kick him out of her space. Right. And I said to her, Bernie, you, it is totally okay how you're feeling. I understand. I get it. Like I, it is always okay to feel how you're feeling, but we've got to find a different way to deal with it. Kicking Franklin is not the way to deal with it. You've got to find a different way. If you need your space, you got to ask for help. We got to take the space. And I get that he was bugging you, but we've got to find a different way to deal with it. And then she just kind of breathed a little bit and was like, okay, I know, I know, you know, and she was just tired and she was overwhelmed, but it was a, it was just a reminder. And I think something that I'm working on in our house with everybody and even with Jay, I'm working on this on making sure that I'm giving him the validation that you get to feel your feelings. Yeah. Because sometimes I think I'm, I, with him, I'm like, well, everyone else in this family gets to feel your feelings except for you. Yeah. But because you just need to buck up and figure it out. (laughs) And he has said to me, I, I need to be able to have my feelings too. And I, and I say, you are right. And I can understand when I'm, 
like not allowing that because I get I just want like I I get nervous about our moods dictating the rest of the house right I don't want the kids to be impacted by by our moods but at the same time people are allowed to feel their feelings and so to me now I'm trying to work a little bit more with everybody on it's okay for you to feel this way but we got to figure out a different way to to just let it out it's got to be a little bit of a different way to let it out it can't be kicking and it can't be some of the other more destructive patterns that Jay and I can do, which we're not kicking each other, but we can certainly snap at each other. Right, right. And I think, I think though, too, when I put myself back in sort of the situation you're in now, when you're so thick of the, so in the thick of the child rearing, I think what I always wanted, I didn't really want to hear Ian's feelings because I was trying so hard to make sure that I was. <laughs> hearing the children's feelings because yes. we were we were raising them and it was important that they grow up to be good human beings. You're already a good human being. Just keep it to yourself for a while because I don't have the headspace for you. <laughs> no, you know, it's like I just do you just go deal with you because exactly I can't have it. that too. I, I, I'll, I'll tip over like just I can't I can't I can't I can't like you but, have to manage yourself. But at the same time, that's not really fair. I mean, you no, can't do that. No. And I think that's easy. It, it can be easy to do to just go. You got to feel like I got you got to just deal. You got to deal. Yeah. Well, I think if you don't do that, and I think you're really wise to say that you're aware that Jay has to have that space to express it. And if, like we look at that and go, of course he does. But when you're in the thick of it, it's like, please don't. Please don't say anything. Please just be quiet. Please just go over there and not cause trouble. I know, like I, a lot of times I'm like, I don't want to hear your observations about anything. <laughs> I don't yes. want to hear your observations. Just <laughs> yes. If you're observing something, just go outside and say it out loud. If you need to say it out loud, but don't. Say it but to see, me. that would be the that would be the pattern, as we all know, that ends marriages. No, your your I other know. pattern is much healthier, and that's a, oh, that's a good thing gosh. to remember. That yeah. Anna Quinlan, that is really good stuff, Marjorie. You need to take a picture of that, and we've got to post it. I will. Um, I will, so that we can just take some of those quotes and remember. Those words from 1997 that were such a beautiful precursor to what we felt like we needed to be talking about here on Best to the Nest. Good stuff. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review. This one's going to make you cry. This is from Plainview Farmer. She writes, a podcast that meets me right where I'm at. She writes, I'm truly so grateful for this podcast. It is equal parts deep and challenging, informative and educational, funny and irreverent. Being stuck at home this year with my seven kids, ages nine and under, three sets of twins is how this happens. Whoa! I have often felt at the end of my rope, and this podcast has been such a healthy and helpful place for me to get away for a moment and be able to laugh, learn something, or feel encouraged. One of my favorite things about the podcast is hearing Marjorie speak such real heartfelt support to Elizabeth. So many of us young moms of young kids lack mentors, and it feels like such a balm and a bolster to be able to experience a tiny taste of that relationship by listening. One more thing I appreciate so much about Best to the Nest is how Marjorie and Elizabeth keep things real. I just listened to the Christmas episode where Elizabeth's kids are interrupting her, and she (laughs) continues to firmly but gently tell them to go back downstairs. (laughs) Listening to that interaction literally left me in tears because it felt like I was listening to myself talking to my own kids. And then hearing Marjorie affirming Elizabeth for how she handled it, even more tears. Anyways, I love this podcast. 
The only downside to listening is that it makes you wish you were friends with Marjorie and Elizabeth in real life instead of just in your headphones. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh, you are crying. Is that sweet? That's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. <laughs> or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. Oh, I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I knew I knew it. I knew oh. You're a little bit tired. I got you on Boy, the edge. I know. That was a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs>